Um, I want to prophesy something or declare something this morning that, um, you know, the Bible tells us that we are encompassed, in other words, we are surrounded by promises of God to cause us to overcome. And I, I saw the picture of David and Goliath this morning, and um, the enemy intimidates us. He's big and bad, and when we, when we walk by our sight and not by faith, he can literally paralyze us. And what happened was the army of Israel, which were the mighty men and women of God, were paralyzed up on one, one hill, and then Goliath and his men were up on the other hill. And it says that every day he came out and spit in their face. They were the people of God. You are the people of God. Romans 8.28, we have to understand the fullness of that. God is not interested in your agenda. Did you hear me? He's not interested in your mission. But when we become all wrapped up in his agenda, in his mission, we will never, would you say never? never. We will never fail. All things work to go, together for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. According to his purpose. So the question today, are you bummed out because your agenda is not going forward? And then you have to ask yourself, is your agenda the, the agenda of the Holy Ghost? Because that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like Jesus about our Father's business. And so all of a sudden this young man by the name of David who had oil pointed, uh, poured on him, the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament was uh, poured over his life and then he had prophetic words over him, the, uh, the promises of God. And in that strength, he came to that battle. This little guy. And he confronted his big brothers, and his big brothers even said, ah, you just want to see the battle. Your motives is wrong, all this kind of stuff. And he said, no, he has defiled the armies of our God, and he's coming down. That's the kind of boldness that comes in us when we start to walk by faith, not by sight. Sight will discourage you. It will short-circuit you. There's things in front of you right now that smell as bad as Goliath. But that's not the reality. The reality is God has surrounded us with promises. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit bold. I feel quite stirred up. Amen. God has surrounded us by promise. He's looking for somebody to challenge the enemy. And so I would encourage you to change your format if you are back on your heels. Go to the Word of God and say, Father, you have promised, this is for you. I'm praying for people that saved for you. I want my family turned around for you. I want my business to be turned around. I want my job. I want my children, Lord, to be turned around for you. I'm standing on the promise that all things, everything that's happening to me will work out for the good because I am called according to the will of God. Let's give the Lord a clap offering and thank him. Hallelujah. And thank him that he's called us. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we had a good time last night, but I'm so thankful that I get a chance to try again. Maybe I can get it right this time. Praise the Lord. You know, I have known Paul and Cheryl, I think, over 50 years. How can a man as young as me, <laughs> I knew him back before they were called to Dexter, uh, Paul's a very special friend to me, and, and his, his son, I call him a gemitter critter. He's your pastor, so don't call him that, okay? But I knew Josh when he was a little boy. Our kids grew up together. We banged, banged out trying to how, uh, learn how to be parents together, and I am so honored that um, I'm still friends with Paul and, and Josh, and I'm, I'm honored that you guys would let me come and speak to you today um, the word of the Lord, and I do feel God is trying to say something to us today. Amen. God is reassembling this assembly. He's bringing in fresh blood. He's bringing in uh, some people that have left and come back. And then there's the ones that have been faithful all this time. And what he's trying to do, just like when I was, uh, uh, my, what, my, uh, my mom became pregnant with me, the Bible tells me that God in the womb began to knit me together. He gave me brown eyes. He gave me curly hair. Uh, he gave me dry skin. He gave me all kinds of different things. Uh, and all those things work for the good, okay? But he, he knew exactly what he was doing. And I came out somewhat normal. The body of Christ sometimes is very unnormal. The hand slaps the face. The feet won't, I'm not going where the left foot's going because I'm, I'm a right foot person. And so we've got the, the body of Christ walking around like this, 
And it's because we don't understand what unity really is in Christ. It's not in your agenda, and it's not in my agenda. In fact, we're going to learn this morning that God has created unity. And it's found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you read the book of Ephesians, which is your homework, I don't know if Paul and Josh give you homework, but I'm going to give you homework. I encourage you to read the book of Ephesians ten times. Ten, you don't have to do an essay. But if you look at it, Paul is desperately trying to talk to us Gentiles about the reality of being saved and called by God because God has given us the hot potato of the mission to go to people in all the earth and preach the good news that God has reconciled all mankind to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can speak to people about, you know that Jesus that has been knocking on your door invites you to open the door of your life and come into your life. It's much more than religion. It's much, much more than sacred tradition. There's, there's a religion and there's a presence, a false security presence that's in the world. I, I grew up in it. It's kind of like the veil of uh, being over Moses. It says the Old Testament was glorious. But there was a veil over Moses' face and that glory was failing. And I want to tell you that religion done well is powerful. But it's not the gospel. There's something better. There's something better. You can be born again of the Spirit of God. God is knocking on people's house right now. God is knocking on your, your life. And if I was to ask you, do you know the Lord? You might even say, yes, I know the Lord. He's been with me. You know, He helped me find my toothbrush. He, he, he fixed a flat tire for me. In, in other words, God is alive and well, and He's out here, but He's actually knocking on your door and saying, listen, I don't want to just be a fair-weather friend. I want to come into you and I want you to become my church. I want you to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what happens then, saints, is glorious. Hallelujah, amen? It's, it's a joy unspeakable. The Bible talks about it this way. Joy unspeakable. In other words, you can't describe what has happened to you. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I was raised in a religion. I was raised, raised in sacred tradition. But one day I asked Jesus. I heard the knock for the first time. I knew he was with me. He had been with me even when I was in my sin. He had, he had continued to draw me. And one night the Holy Spirit, by his grace, brought me to a place where I opened up my heart and I said, Jesus, I'd, I want you to come into my life. And he did. Woo! He says, I will knock, and if you open the door, I believe there's people in here today that you know about God, but you don't know the saving knowledge of God. And, and God wants you to open up your life. And when you open up your life, you'll find out something. That the Old Testament religion is passing away. That religion is not what God's after. God is after a relationship. And then something happens to you that brings you into unity that God has established. Ephesians chapter 1. It is so full of life, guys. You're going to need to read it ten times. Because he's basically talking about the uniform of blessing that God has given to us in Christ Jesus. But one thing that, I, that jumped off the pages by the Holy Spirit to me is that Paul says this. Now this is Paul that got caught up into the heavens he saw things and heard things that he said, I cannot utter. Now, that doesn't mean that God said, don't tell anybody. I, I, I shared this. You're going to, I, I'm not going to apologize anymore. So um, I shared a lot of this stuff last night. I hate that kind of stuff. You have to re, regurbish it. But anyways, the thing is, have you ever had a dream where you've talked to God? I have. Or had a dream that you sang a song or sang in the Spirit. I, I, I said to some of your musicians, I, I'm a musician, and there's been times I've been in a, a dream, and I sing in tongues and in English this incredible song. And in the dream, I'm thinking, i got to remember that when I wake up. You ever have that problem? <laughs> and when I wake up, I remember that it was so heavenly, but I can't explain it. Because that reality of heaven the Bible actually tells us eye has not seen it, 
ear has not heard it. It's not even entered into your mind the things that God has prepared for his sons and daughters. I'm going to heaven. How about you? Okay, I'm getting closer. Only 68, maybe another 20 years. Who knows? But I'm getting closer to the end, and I'm starting to get excited. I'm not going to leave in the middle of the service, but I'm getting excited about going to heaven. And I think that that really should be, the, that's, that should be one of the results of being saved. It's the fear of death is taken off of us. And it's the joy. Uh, you know, uh, I've been told that I'm retiring. I'm not retiring. I'm, I'm actually been released to the churches as an apostolic prophet to churches. And I'm going all over the place. I'm busier. It's only been a month and I thought I wasn't going to have anything to do. My goodness. So I'm, I'm getting excited about all of this that the Lord is doing before us. But I'm getting excited about going to heaven. But anyways, that was just a commercial says Dan Tabal, and I think the Lord was in what I just said too. Please hear what I said, because some of you are living a life like this, and God wants you to live a life like this. Big difference. Offense versus defense. We are on the offense. That doesn't mean that everything is rosy, but it means that you will never fail to do the will of God in your life. Never. Would you say never again? That's a big word, isn't it? So, in the, in the epistle of Ephesians, if you turn to chapter 4, I'm just going to read three verses to you. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I want you to note here that Paul calls himself an apostle, which is in the spirit. I, I don't understand. God's not, God's kingdom isn't stacked up higher, higher, higher. It's almost like the, the saints I've learned from is in the kingdom of God, the lower you bend, the higher you are. God's, God's kingdom is the way up is the way down. Humility. And so we have here the apostle and Paul actually writes to us, he says, in the church first are apostles. Apostles are different than pastors in the fact that they actually are sent to the body of Christ. A lot of times they won't have a local um, church. I've had a local church for over 40 years, but all of my life I've also been going out to other churches. But I want you to notice that this high-ranking soldier says, I am a prisoner. To be a real Christian, you have to be different, not weird. Okay? Some people think spirituality is weird. I just think it's weird when you're weird. I think it's practical, but yet it's supernatural. They should be able to pick you out at work. Not because you're weird, but because your standards are different. That you don't lie, you don't gossip, you're honest. You don't flaunt yourself. They should be able to pick you out wherever you go. And the early church understood this. To be a Christian literally meant you could get persecuted because you're not going go to fall in line with a lot of the things that are going on in the world. You could actually get killed. And it made a purity in the church. What's happened to the church now is we want to blend. And I, I'm not a rebel. I, you know, I'm not a rebel. I think we, we have to be all things to all men, but we are, what we are is Christians in all situations. It doesn't matter where you are. So he says there, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you were called and then he talks about what I'm going to call the recipe of unity, how we endeavor to keep the, the unity. He says, in all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring not to make the unity, but to keep the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. So unity has been established God has decided, Paul said um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, he says that God had decided, this is the man that's been caught up to heaven. Wouldn't you like to talk to somebody that actually has went to heaven and just get a... So he was caught up into heaven. He heard things that he could not utter, things that were way above him. Literally, God blew his mind. And he said that God had decided before the world began 
that he would bring mankind back to himself one way. By uniting them all to Christ in one man. You know what else is really crazy? That God knew your name before he created the earth. He also says that in chapter 1. That God chose you before time. That's incredible. That God chose you before time. And so our unity, saints, now please don't backslide over this. It's not centered in doctrine. Doctrine is important. I remember I was doing presbytery meetings up in Canton, and I was going to a church, and I pulled up to a stop sign in the middle of Potsdam, and I think from that position I could see at least three, I think there was five different huge monumental churches and I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit said to me so clearly, he said, they are monuments to our, dis, our disunity. We allow our preferences, we allow our opinions of what the Scripture says. We think we know something so much better than someone else. Instead of learning to have iron sharpening iron and listen to one another, you know, you might think a little bit different about something than I do, and you don't violate Scripture. Is that okay? I, I mean, I was raised in a family of 15. Talk about diversity. <laughs> I had eight brothers and six sisters. I'm still in trauma. <laughs> but none of them were the same. They were all different. But we, we learned to get along and we learned to love one another. And that's what Paul is saying. On the journey, this is, life is a field trip. On the journey, I need to learn how to appreciate other people's opinions and other people's insight. I don't know it all, and neither do you. I don't care what your theology is. You're talking about God. You're talking, and what a wonderful thing it is that all of your life, I remember Dave Larkin said to me once, um, and I learned this from my sisters. He, he came to my house one time and he said, Dan, you're a good guy, but there's one thing I don't like about you. And that's pretty good for Dave, just one thing. <laughs> he said, you say idea, it's idea. And I learned how to say idea. I can be taught. Can you? Amen. It's a simple thing, but some people are so stuck on a doctrine, they'll never allow God to change it. And it's not necessarily that they're wrong, but the unity is in Christ. And when I have Christ, I can talk to anyone that's born again, and I can learn from them first and I also can give to them second. Because when you have it the other way, then you become the boss man. You become the man with the big opinion in the room. We've had all kinds of problems in the church when you've got somebody that's a strong personality that you have to do it their way. Isn't this fun? <laughs> Hallelujah. So anyways, so Jesus said um, to his disciples, he said, if any man desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so I'll have the next slide up, if you would, hon. So this slide represents you and your brokenness, your selfishness, your opinions, your entitlements, your preferences, whether you're a man or woman, your pride without God. And it can be two things. I'm sure if you've lived as long as I have, you have met someone that is so opinionated, it's just overwhelming when you talk to them. You can't get into their thoughts because they are so filled of their opinion, and they're so in love with their opinion, and they think their opinion is so important that you can't talk to them. And that's without the cross. I remember one time my, my younger brother, Joey, uh, my dad used to whitewash barns, and uh, he had this old truck that sat out in the, uh, the field, and uh, we used to play in it all the time. But Joey got into the car, the, the truck. He opened the door and got into the truck, and what had happened was a hornet's nest had bu uh, built itself in the seat. And he couldn't get out. He couldn't get the door back open. And he had the window down. And I mean, he's screaming and hollering. And finally, he, he just jumped out the window and rolled away. And that's really sometimes, when, when you're stuck on yourself, you might think you're wonderful. 
But it's like sitting on a hornet's nest. It's so hard to talk. Uh, I remember Tom, Bush and tell, Tom Bushy telling me a story. A guy came up. And we're, right now we're in a, a time of such division. We got people di- divided over masks or no masks, vaccines over that. Na- I mean, the gospel's just getting lost in all of these conspiracies. And we're not telling people about Jesus. And our argument is actually repulsing them instead of settling down and make the, the main thing the main thing. But anyways, Tom was telling me about this guy came to him and he started t- criticizing this ministry and criticizing this ministry and this doctrine and that mock doctrine. And he just came like a hornet's nest at, at Tom. And he, when he got all done, he said, so what do you think of that? And Tom says, well, I know Jesus and you're nothing like him. I know Jesus and you're nothing like him. We are the sons of God. The Bible says our inheritance is to be led not by our spirit, but by the spirit of God, knowing when to speak and when not to speak. But if you're caught up in this kind of living, you will speak out of turn. Romans 7, 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? You know my biggest problem? His name is Dan Tabal. You know what your biggest problem? Insert your name. And until you see how lost you are and how much you need a Savior, you'll never be able to walk out in the things of God. You know, in the 60s, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than the 60s generation, but one of the things that they said a lot is, I need to find myself. Well, I found myself and I was horrified. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and I'm continuing to find myself being in that circle with opinions and stuff. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when God can finally change your mind and begin to show you that unity is not about people agreeing with you. It's about you agreeing with God and then learning gently how to bring that to other people. So the second slide is unity. uh, The next slide is unity. And you notice there's a cross in the center. In the Old Testament, there's a story, it's a prophetic picture of the cross. And the children of Israel were in the desert, and they came to this river, it was called Myra. I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, but uh, I'm calling it Myra, and it means bitterness. And so they could not drink of the water because the waters were bitter. And then prophetically, the shadow comes to Moses, and he sees a tree. Now the tree represents the cross. And he takes the cross, he takes the tree, and he casts it into the bitter waters. And all of a sudden, the bitter waters become sweet. And when you understand, when your desire is to serve God, you hate that bee's nest. Come on. To love God is to hate sin. You hate your opinions. You hate your preferences. You hate things that divide, uh, divide you from other people. You just want to serve Jesus. You want to have Jesus within your life, and you want to be pleasing him. You want to live a life that literally pleases the Lord. And when that happens, it won't happen. When you're in that first circle, I dare say you are a man or woman most miserable. Because you'll never get God to agree with your preferences or your opinions. And you certainly won't get people to live, and you'll get mad at folks. It could be that, you, uh, it could be that you'll leave this service today, and I hurt you somehow. Uh, something I say offends you. Steve Wilbur used to say, if I don't have any sawdust when I'm preaching, I'm not preaching well. So there's going to be chips. Amen. God's going to hit you. And so you could go out and say, you know that Dan Tabal, you, you'll say to somebody that wasn't here, that Dan Tabal, he's an arrogant guy. You know what you just did? You infected that person with an opinion about me and poisoned them. And the next time Dan Tabal comes, they won't come to church because you said that I'm arrogant. So please don't say that. Okay? I try to control myself, but I just get too excited about Jesus. Amen? But we do that all the time. There might be someone that you don't even know that somebody has said something to you. But when you add the cross and you won't receive that, when somebody does something awful to you and the old circle says, I'm never going to talk to them again and I'm going to tell everybody how rotten they are. 
Instead, you say, Lord, you forgave me, and I forgive them. And I'm going to do everything I can to guard my heart so that I don't have bitterness towards that person. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that you would bless them. All of a sudden, the cross is inoculating you. It's vaccining you. It's, it's taking that death of all those things, and all of a sudden, life that was bitter begins to be sweet. I, I, I was up to uh, Canton this whole last week doing uh, presbytery meetings at five different churches, and there was a young boy, it, it's a long story, but a young boy, he's a pastor's son, almost died of leukemia. God healed him. 17 years old. His wife is a woman of God. His dad is a wonderful pastor and woman, a man of God, and he sits in the middle of them. And it was such a demonstration because his grandpa and his grandma also were there, and they are women and men of God. And they poured into the grandchildren. And they loved Jesus, and they worshiped the Lord, and they went to church, and they were faithful. And because of all this, this young man's sitting here intact, pure, healed, and it was such a demonstration of what the, is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. They have 20 grandchildren. Like that, Sam, 20 20 grandchildren. Nothing blesses me more when they come, and they do come, and they're worshiping the Lord. One of them's 10 years old. He's on the worship team. My, another 10-year-old, he, he uh, heard a coach say that um, there's three things that are important to me, my relationship with God, the Bible, and my family. And he heard that on TV, and he wanted to share that with Papa Dan because he knows that's important to Papa Dan, and it's also important now to him. I am seeing what happens to kids when they're brought under the admonition and the nurturing of the Lord. All my kids are saved. All of them are serving Jesus. I, I give glory for that. And also, I thank God for my wife. Amen. Okay, wherever. So, this, that, the whole concept of God pouring in. And, and what, the other thing that happens is what I call the wow factor. Would you like to say that word with me? Wow. That's where our life is. Um, joy unspeakable and full, full of glory. When Jesus knocked and I opened up my life to him, all of a sudden heaven began to come in. I got born again. Something happened uh, physically to me. I got born again of the Spirit of God, and all of a sudden the light was turned on, and, not, and I didn't just hear Jesus knocking on the outside anymore. He was inside. And then I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I began to see the, the, the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I began to see lives changed because now I was standing in the sweet spot. I was standing where God had called me and has God has called you. And it started coming. And that's what happens when Jesus would preach. One of the things that they would say is, I am astonished at his doctrine. In other words, it's blowing my mind. When he dealt with people, uh, they, were they would go back. I've never heard anybody say what this person said. They would see his miracles, and they were scratching their head. We've never seen it like this before. In other words, they were living the wild life. How would you like to live the wild life? The wild life is being dedicated to the things of God, and you begin to see God do what he promised to do because he's not a liar. He hears you when you pray. We had a young, uh, not a young lady, but she was in her, I guess her 80s. That's a young lady, <coughs> as I get older. And uh, she, she came to Presbytery, and she's one of those people. There's probably somebody like that here, man or woman, that has been with the church from the very beginning. She had been with the church for, I think they said, 22 years. And she asked God a couple questions before Presbytery. She said, Lord, do you hear me? And can you help me with this financial situation and the prophets said exactly what she said to God back because she's a praying woman she's a woman that's doing eight Romans eight twenty eight the whole deal she's been faithful all these years we sing about it great is your faithfulness that means that God was faithful 53 years ago when I accepted Jesus and he's even de demonstrated for 53 years of my life his faithfulness. I'll tell you, that will cause you to get excited. Come on. That'll cause you to get excited. It's, 
joy unspeakable, full of glory, when God comes through over and over and over again. So, we're going to look at these five vitamins that Paul talks about because I've even said this myself. Um, I have the gift of long-suffering and I've been suffering long. That's not what he's talking about. Five years ago, <laughs> the, the point is, we need to study the Bible. We know what this passage says, but do we know what this passage says? We have definitions of all these words, but are they the definitions that Paul actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brought into it? So five years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, prostate cancer, and as of July this year, it'll be five years and I'm cancer-free, okay? But I say that because my wife doesn't want to lose me, and she really is fussing about what I eat. She doesn't like me eating sugar. She doesn't like me eat carbs. She doesn't eat, like me to eat all these preservatives. So I'll ask her, uh, honey, can I have this? And she said, read the label. I said, I don't have to read the label. I know it tastes good. I just want to eat it. She says, read the label. And if it's got sugar and preservatives and all these other things, she says, nope, you're not eating it. And so today, my goal is that we would understand that the Bible verses and the Bible words have something written on them. They mean more than surface things. They mean more than what the American church thinks they mean. And so if Paul says, how do we endeavor to keep the unity of the faith, and he starts talking about these things, he talks about these five Christian virtues. And the first one is humility. If you went back, you don't need to do this, sister, but if you went back to that first circle, that circle, the bee's nest that's in that circle, whether you are a calm, prideful person or an arrogant, prideful person, the fruit of a person that does not know God is I am my own God and I can do whatever I want. Thank you very much. It's arrogance. But the fruit of a Christian is you finally saw yourself not comparing yourself to somebody else in the church or some other ministry. I'm better than that person because. When you compare yourself with other people, you can always find someone to make you feel better. But the Bible says don't compare yourself with one another. It's very dangerous. Compare yourself with Christ. And all that God would demand and all that God did command that God fulfilled in Christ Jesus and when you look at Christ and you look at yourself, hopefully you will get a vision of who you really are and you'll stare yourself right in the face and you won't be nice anymore. I guess I'm okay. I'm as good as somebody else. And you'll humble yourself and say, Lord, without your mercies, I can't think straight. My opinions are mixed up. My preferences are mixed up because each one of you are a I call, you, I call you guys a basket of drama. I've pastored for over, over 40 years. Everybody's got their basket of drama, and a lot of it has to do with the way they were raised and things that have happened to them. So the first thing he talks about is the lowliness or humility that we need to bring into our lives. The second thing, I'm going to have to go a little bit faster here, the second thing is meekness. And what he's talking about in meekness is two things. He's talking about the fact that every one of us are wired. You ever think about that scripture, be angry and sin not? Have you ever been angry and sinned? <laughs> but have you ever been angry and sin not? Okay. Be jealous, but sin not. Be bold, but sin not. And so... God has made us in his own image, and God actually gets angry, and God actually gets jealous. These are all attributes of our Father, but in us, because of the sin that was in us, we are excess one way or another. We can be so calm that nothing bothers us. Our emotions are so shut down that almost anything can happen, and you don't even shed a tear. Or you can be a drama queen or, or drama king, and the least little thing blows you off the circuit. I'll, I'll say something to you guys. I've met guys, and I, 
in my younger years even thought it was cool that they think it's cool to get really angry and throw a hammer or get real angry and tell you off. That's, I'm a man. I tell it like it is. Yeah, you tell it like it is, all right. You tell it like where you are. So he says, there's like a, a meter on your life. Never too unemotional. Never too over-emotional. But you can find that spot right in the middle where you can recognize that there's something going on if you're angry and you can deal with it. There's something going on in you if you're jealous and you can deal with it. And it won't take you to one extreme or the other. It's the gentleness too, guys, that has all of your emotions are now coming under the discipline. Uh, any disciples out there? Any Christians out there? If you're a Christian, you're being disciplined by the Word of God. The Word of God is changing you. It's the Word of God is renewing your mind. And so it's that man or woman that strives in every conversation, and it can happen. He's always with you. And if you'll stop running with your opinions and running with your motives that maybe are about promoting something that you love and just stop and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to endeavor. You, you brought me into unity with this brother, this sister. You brought me into unity with this church based on the fact that they're born again and I'm born again. And I want to be very careful how I treat them, how I talk about them. I understand I could say something that would poison my spirit. My son and my daughter, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. You have to guard yourself from hearing things. Still with me? We're going to go a little bit longer, but you're all about that, right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for being gracious. Okay. Long-suffering. And long-suffering talks about two different types of battle. It's a battle. Paul saying, he's saying that he wants you to be long-suffering, and he actually uses what goes on in his culture at that day, which is the Roman Empire. They, they call it um, the Roman um, preference, persistence, the Roman persistence. The Roman Empire at its peak could not even fathom about getting beat. If they lost a battle, they would regroup, you're not going to take us, and they'd come back and win. If they lost a campaign, they would regroup and come back and win over and over. So Paul is saying, long-suffering is you never quit. Is there anyone that you've stopped praying for? Is there something in your life that you just said, I give up? Devil, go ahead. I'm not going to pray for this person. I'm not going to believe God for this promise anymore. I just quit. Paul's saying, that's not long-suffering. You need to understand, you keep pushing, you keep praying, you keep stepping out in faith. It might not happen the way that it, you think it's going to happen, but I would testify after walking with Jesus for 50 years, usually it happens better than you ever thought. Amen. It's filled with God's handprints all over it. So that's one aspect of long-suffering. You don't quit. The second thing is, it has to do with people. That you don't give up. You don't give up on your church. You don't give up on your pastor. You don't give up on your ministries. You put up with people that sometimes are foolish because you know the long-suffering of God. Can you imagine if God would have gave up on you? I got high on marijuana after I got saved. <gasps> it's 53 years ago, guys. I even got drunk once. I dabbled in things that were part of my old life, yet they were supposed to be crucified. What if God would have said, that's enough, Dan. I wanted you to be perfect right away. Any perfect people in here, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> There's none of us that are perfect. We are walking towards perfection. We are working out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. And we need to understand sometimes even with young people that when they're 15 and you're 50, they're not going to think the same way as you, so don't get so frustrated with them. Just think about the brainlessness of your 15-year-old <laughs> yourself when you were that age, and you'll begin to have a different perspective. He said if you're going to promote unity, if you're endeavoring to keep it, you've got to be long-suffering. Don't ever quit. 
don't ever give in. There's things that this church is believing for. There's things that God has promised this church. Are you cooling off or are you pushing harder? There's things that we go through as a church. The best things that ever happened to me in my marriage are the hard things that happened to me in my marriage. Because I got to find out that I really did love this gal and she really did love me. I'm a somewhat of a carpenter. Some of the best wood that you have is when they had a disease or when they had a storm or when they had something break. It makes the most prettiest parts. The same way in the church of God. There's things that we go through that give us fiber. The world says, behold how they love one another. Look at how they go through this together. And they're wowed by our wow. Amen? Okay, so next thing is um, agape love, which is God's love that will not quit. And there's some scriptures about God's long-suffering love. And this, this agape love is a word that the Christian church had to make because there was no love that described the love of God. It's not the passionate love of two lovers. It's not the friendship love of, a, of two brothers or two sisters. It's a love that is so far above ours that we had to actually create a, a new word, agape love. It's the love of God. God who loved us before we ever loved Him. God who loved us when we spit in His face. I could tell you things that I did to God before I was saved, but I am so shameful of the way I try to, try to treat God to make Him do what I wanted Him to do. But His love was greater. His love never pulled back. That's, that's the final straw, Dan. It's not in God. For God so loved the world. What does that mean? We're talking about people that politically do things that are incorrect. People that spit in the face of God. People that change the laws of God. People that abuse other people. And yet God's hand is still stretched out in mercy. We are living in the day called the day of salvation. And the worst sinner, hopefully it's you, because I, I think it's very important that you see yourself as the worst sinner just like Paul did. The worst sinner, God will reach out to them. And some of this, that's always related to the love of God in this, this definition of long-suffering. It says that it was, Paul said, God's going to use my life because I killed Christians, I arrested them, I was a, a raving lunatic against God. And by the mercy of God, God's going to show my life as a demonstration of how long-suffering God's love is. That's a pattern of God's long-suffering. He said, for you that are hearing this this morning, and you are able to brush off what I said, Do you not know that it's the long-suffering grace and mercy and love of God that brings you to repentance? Peter said in the Old Testament during Noah's day, it was the long-suffering and tolerance and patience of God and it finally came to an end. And people that are saying God will never come back, it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. There's a coming and end to this age. And here's the gospel. You're going to stand and your life is going to be judged. No doubt about it. If it's judged on your merit, you will be found wanting. But if you have the lawyer of heaven, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord in this time will be saved. I remember when I was there. I didn't even know there was something on the other side of the door. Maybe you don't want to give something up. That's why you won't open the door. But he promised you life and life more abundantly. The last thing that Paul talks about is 
the bond of peace. In that first circle, you will never have peace because the peace is dependent on you. You know that old song, you and me against the world. Sometimes it seems like you and me against the world. I don't know all the words to that, but that's enough to get the message out. Have you ever felt like that? And it, without Christ, in some ways, it is like that. But with Christ, you have an advocate with the Father. You have a mediator. And that peace, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts, the Bible says. So this morning, this church has a destiny of change going on. There's a lot of new elements coming in. There's some going out. There's going to be new people with new preferences and new opinions. There's going to be different changes in, in uh, the worship and different changes going out throughout the whole church. I encourage you as your brother in the Lord and according to what Paul says, endeavor to keep the unity and watch what God does just like the example I've used of my own marriage. Watch what God can do when you're willing to go through things together loving one another, praying for one another, doing it God's way, because that's the only way. How can we give the world unity if we don't have it ourselves? You understand that? You know, we, we, you, you might think, well, I'm unified, it's the rest of these bums. <laughs> yeah, right. You're in the wrong circle again. Okay, it's not the rest of these bums. You're your own problem and you're our problem. I'm going to work for the unity of the saints. I'm going to read one last scripture that's a tremendous scripture. We all know it's in Philippians chapter, um, where is it? Chapter 3, the next book over from Ephesians. Listen to what Paul, who was probably one of the most brainy people of his time, and he was the most religious of his time, but he could not get peace. He says something, guys, listen to this. He's trying to get peace with God his whole life by the law. He never found it. He was miserable. And then he found peace at the cross. And he said, therefore, I will glory in nothing but the cross. The cross did it for me. And when we embrace the cross, we can lose that old circle and we can enter into the life that Jesus actually has paid for us, living the wow life. Chapter 3, verse 7. But the things that I used to think were gain, I count lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also call all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, perfected, but I press on and I press in, that I might lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press in. Can I just read one more scripture, guys? This is in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. This is the uniform. Paul literally goes into what I call a free fall of prophecy. I had that happen to me once. where I, The first time I ever prophesied was the night God gave me the gift of uh, the prophetic. It was in the Catholic Church. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Woo! And I fell into God, and I was just seeing things and speaking things 
that I, I couldn't catch up with them. They just kept coming at me. And this is what happened to Paul when he was reading Ephesians, or, uh, writing Ephesians. He started talking about what you are in Christ. And he went into a free fall. Blessing after blessing after blessing was flooding through his, his mind about who you are in Jesus. And I'm just going to sum it up with, he said, first off, you're ble- you, you have peace with God. You're blessed with such abundant blessing in heavenly places. In other words, you can't get what God has for you unless you have Jesus in your life. God is going to pull things down from heaven into your life. You can't get there from earth, but in Christ, God has blessed you with all kinds of spiritual blessings. He has chosen you. Jesus said, don't think you chose me. I chose you. He has adopted you. When you're adopted, all your, your debts are canceled and you become a son of that new family. You are adopted. He's accepted you, my brother. He's redeemed you. He bought you back with a price. Your sins are forgiven because God in His Son had such a pure and great sacrifice. You are forgiven. You have riches and abundant grace and He's placed you in a time in history called the day of salvation. You are born for such a time as this. Would you stand right now and I'd just like to pray for you. Amen. I don't know if Paul and uh, Josh are watching this morning or they're going to watch this, but we love you guys. Amen. Amen. Cheryl, we love you too. And Becky, we love you too. So... (laughs) Amen. Father, just raise your hands up. Father, we stand in the stance of heaven that we lift up holy hands in your presence. And we're asking, Lord, that you would open the doors of our life. Jesus, that you would come and sit with us and fellowship with us. I believe the Lord wants you to set aside some time to regroup that you might look, make a list of those things where the enemy has stolen them from you and put them back on the front burner to revive the promise and revive the dreams that God has placed within you. So I'm praying, Father, that you would meet with them. They'd have an encounter with the Holy Spirit in their private time with you. Energize and anoint, I pray, this church as you are knitting them together, as they go through morning sickness, as they go through different things, as you're developing a brand new creation here in Dexter. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for being patient and listening this morning. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Amen.